0: You're listening to the Regeneration Rising podcast, a podcast from the Kavira Coalition about the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of agrarians in the United States. Each episode will explore what it means to work in regenerative agriculture, how people came to choose this as their livelihood, and why it's important to them and the future. We hope to build a foundation for a strong community of future agrarians and land stewards with a regenerative approach to community, relationships, and the land.
1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Regeneration Rising. I'm Taylor Mulia, and we have a fantastic episode for you today. Uh, first, I wanted to share some things going on here at the Kivir Coalition. So believe it or not, we're already gearing up to hire apprentices for 2024. um, To learn more about the new agrarian program and participating mentor sites, join us for our NAP 101 calls in September, October, and November. And um, these are great calls to bring questions to. So it'll be hosted by myself and my colleague, Lucas Sampson up in Montana. And we um, just go through all the sites and, and explain more about the program and um, it's, it's a really good time. So if you're considering applying, I would highly recommend attending. Uh, you can register at kiviracoalition.org and find our events page. And applications for our program open November 1st through December 15th. If you are at all considering um, applying, maybe you have some questions or concerns. Um, not only do I recommend attending one of those calls, but you can f- always feel free to reach out to us. You can email newagrarian at and one of us will get back to you and we can help you talk through if this program seems like a good decision for you and um, where what sites might be a good fit. So feel free to always reach out. Also, so we have the Regenerate Conference coming up on November 1st through 3rd, and there are discounts available for beginning farmers and ranchers, as well as students studying fields related to, pretty broadly, anything in agriculture or conservation, so, and as we'll mention later in the episode, we'll be hosting an, a really fun beginning farmer and rancher social and career fair on Thursday night of the conference. So we really hope you'll join us. Okay, on to today's episode. I'll talk with Executive Director of Poudre Valley Community Farms, Stacey Lishka, and National Young Farmers Coalition Western Organizing Manager, Evan Kavanas. We discussed this amazing project I'm so excited about that links young farmers and ranchers with land here in Northern Colorado, which can be an extremely difficult place to find affordable land access. And we talk about what can go right and wrong with cooperative land leasing. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation. It digs into the nuances of land access, and um, I think it's just really helpful. And so thanks for joining us, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Evan, Stacy, thank you so much for joining us on Regeneration Rising.
2: It's wonderful to be here. I'm super excited to share our partnership with, with your listeners.
1: Yeah. So Stacey, I guess I would love to start with you first. Can you tell us a little bit about the origin story of Pudor Valley Community Farms? And what are the problems with an agriculture and land access that led to its creation in the first place?
2: You bet. Um, I think it's one of the most interesting and um, important parts of Poudre Valley Community Farms is really where we started. Um, We are based in Northern Colorado, and Poudre Valley Community Farms is a grassroots organization in the very truest sense of that word. Our organization started when um, a group of our community members, including a longtime farmer family, in our community kind of got together actually at our public library to talk about challenges for growing local food in Northern Colorado. And um, Nick Koontz and Katie Slota who run native Hill farms are the, are the producers that, that were there, that were part of that conversation. And they stood up and basically told their story. They said over the 10 years that they had been running their business, they had had to move their farm eight different times which means that they couldn't invest long-term in soil health and in understanding properties. They just couldn't get to the point where they could do that. And they had really hit a wall in terms of what kind of land they could afford Um, because so much land in Northern Colorado, land is in such high demand for development of all varieties. And their story really isn't unique. Um, That's the thing that we hear across the board for producers in this part of the state and really across the West is that land access and water access that's both affordable and long-term and dependable is the biggest barrier to starting businesses, to growing businesses, to sustaining businesses. Um, And the interesting part about what happened here in Fort Collins was that in that same room was a group of people who cared about where their food came from um, and had financial resources to be able to support a program to build land access. And the passion with which Nick and Katie told their story and these folks' dedication really sort of lit a fire in our community to start this program that's focused on providing long-term affordable land, water, and infrastructure access And, and we've really, our program has really grown from there where folks who have financial resources are bringing them together. We're pulling those pieces together. We're leveraging that with other creative funding mechanisms to purchase land, to lease land, and to connect producers to private landowners to provide land and water access.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Then that brings me to my next question. So you've described yourself as a, as a conduit between landowners and land seekers. And so can you describe a little bit more about like the structure of the organization? Like what, what do you do? Do you own all of the land that you lease out? Is it kind of a patchwork and how, you know, I I guess, yeah, I'm, I want to picture sort of what your role is and what the role of the landowner and the land seeker and how those work in,
2: yeah, at the beginning, our model or idea was um, really to purchase land, to bring the funds of those folks who really were invested in where their food comes from together to help purchase land for the benefit of our producers. So when we, that was the first step. We did, we did that work. We were able to purchase a piece of land and put a conservation easement on that land. And through the Colorado state tax laws, We could recoup a lot of the purchase price of that land to be able to take that money then and reinvest it in other work. And I think that's a great model. But what we realized during that process is that's only one model. And and because land is so expensive here, if we sort of stuck only with a land purchase model, it meant that we could only help a pretty small number of producers And we had lots of producers, and we still have lots of producers reaching out to us on a regular basis to look for land access and look for land of a variety of different types. So we sort of expanded the portfolio, the ways that we access land, and I think really got very creative about that. So we own one piece of land. We also lease a number of properties from our city, the City of Fort Collins Natural Areas Department and we on those lands we try to create opportunities for shared access so that we have uh, multiple producers on those properties and we can really look for the synergies between the ways they are growing food to help provide conservation benefits on those properties so the second way that we sort of provide access is through these leased and then subleased properties with shared access and then the third way is that we try to really connect landowners and land seekers in whenever we have those opportunities. So we will often have folks who own land and would like someone to be farming it for a variety of reasons, reach out to us to say, hey, can you help us find somebody that's a good fit? And as I said, we also have those land seekers reaching out to us. And so we sometimes play matchmaker in that way. And and I think there's even more creativity out there in terms of the future of like how we could continue to provide access, but we really try to look for like the best circumstances for the particular land seeker in our world. The producers are first and we're trying, and we also recognize that producers need different kinds of resources. They're looking for different things. And so we really try to match the opportunity with what they're looking for. Some of them want to own land, some of them want to lease land, some of them are looking for a place to just kind of try something out. And so that is just sort of like different, um, yeah, different opportunities for different people in different circumstances.
1: Yeah, it's so variable. Like I, I always find land access to be such a, it, it's talked about in such a like a simple way, like we need to get young farmers land access. But when it comes to actually doing that, you know, you're not talking just about land, you're talking about the water, the barns, the, like housing, like the, you know, tenure situation, if they're going to lease it, if they're going to lease to own, it's just such a, a complicated thing. And a lot of, you could have two cattle producers that are super similar, um, and they want completely different things. So yeah, I'm I'm super curious about, well, first of all, I wanted to ask you to What's the percentage of vegetable operations versus livestock operations in your program?
2: Yeah. So, right now, um, we serve 10 producers, and it's about half and half, about a mix of small and large stock uh, livestock producers, and then um, ha- about half vegetable producers. So, we really, you know, we really have an open door. And I think that's really one of the benefits of these shared properties is that we have places where we are doing, for the health of the land, we are doing both grazing and more intensive vegetable production kind of in those same places. and I also wanted to sort of add, uh, Taylor, to what you said earlier, which is that those desires also change over time. Um, you know, someone who's in the first year of starting a business or the first several years of starting a business, they might have one view of what they want it to look like. And then as that develops they might change those views. So that's really where we are looking to build long-term relationships with people. You know, We aim for five, 10-year leases with folks so that we can be there as a solid partner to them through that whole period. And it's good for us too, right? Because when we've got folks who are invested in a piece of land and want to be there and know they can be there for five or 10 years or even longer... They're willing to put the time and effort into understanding that property into improving the properties into um, trying to achieve some of those conservation goals that we've that are important for us to,
1: yeah, and I also think too. I'm I'm imagining there are situations too where people get a lease and then they're like, this is way harder than I thought, or this is way different than I, I thought it was going to be, or my financial situation has changed or my family situation has changed and we have to, we have to pivot, you know? And so I think that's a cool part about what you're doing is it's a really dynamic and and you work together with producers because it's like you can't just have a young farmer, get them land. And we check that box. We fix that problem. You know, it's so dynamic. So, um, yeah, I can imagine that's always really challenging.
2: It is. And and that's why that's really the um, we've started to think about the ways we interact with producers as sort of a pipeline. Mm. Right. Where we've got folks coming into that pipeline at all different stages. And how do we help support them differently? based on where they are. Um, and one of the things that we have developed sort of in the middle part of, it feels like there are beginning farmer programs out there and ways to help folks learn how to farm. And then we had a lot of opportunities for folks who were established producers to sort of take their business and put it on this piece of property and have that long-term land and water access. But the middle of the pipeline was a little weak here, especially in Northern Colorado. So we worked with another organization called the Northern Colorado Food Shed Project to develop a farm accelerator program. And so it's basically the idea that someone would come into this program who's had some experience farming they maybe had that in their background or they may have worked on another farm or, you know, they maybe were part of a beginner farmer and rancher program and they really wanted to build a business here in Northern Colorado. And that's what this program is designed to do. It gives really affordable land and water access for three years and equipment support and things like that, as well as training. So things like business training, um, food safety training, the stuff that if you're working on a farm, it's sort of someone else's responsibility to deal with all of those parts, right? But if you want to own your own farm, you've got to know how to do that stuff. So it's a three-year program that operates on one of our properties that is really designed to take folks and accelerate their business from this beginning phase to a phase where they have the foundation to be sustainable into the long term. Wow,
1: that is So, cool. so
2: it's Yeah, it's just, we're really trying to think about that pipeline and how do we get folks through moving from step to step and support them along the way? Because exactly like you said, they don't, it's not a static thing. You don't like become a farmer and then you're a farmer for like in the same way for years over time. So
1: absolutely. um,
2: yeah, that's one of the things that I think through our partnerships and through some of the work that we are doing directly, we're really trying to just like, solidify that pipeline here in Northern Colorado
1: I I want to bring Evan and this is an awesome partnership that you two have formed and so Evan you are a your cattle rancher you have an operation with your husband Tyson and and all the kiddos and uh, lease a piece of land through this program Evan can you kind of go into how you found the program how you ended up being a lessee
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my husband and I are both originally from the Four Corners region, specifically Bayfield. And uh, that is where we started our business. That is where we really foresaw ourselves being forever, um, no reason to move. Uh, But I, you know, I, I worked for the National Young Farmers Coalition at that time as the Colorado organizer, and I went to a conference at the Old Fort. And it was uh, a gathering of different incubator farms and um, accelerator models and the such. And that's where I met Carly Donahue, who's the executive director of the Northern Colorado Food Shed Project. And um, she was great. I loved hearing about the program. We just started to kind of get in touch. You know, she... She told me vaguely about, oh, there's this woman named Stacy and there's this thing. And, you know, but it was very much just kind of on the periphery, something cool to know about for my work. Um, And uh, then my daughter, who uh, she's now 18 months, but she was a tiny baby when that happened. And we learned shortly after that she was deaf. And immediately as parents, that just really shifted our Our worldview, our life plan, because living rurally is certainly great if you are not needing anything extra. And the truth of the matter was that our daughter had audiological needs. She had a need to be a part of her community of other deaf individuals, and that wasn't to be had. So then it became okay, so where do we go? Well, the answer in Colorado is Denver. That's where it's very concentrated with the the pediatric audiologists. And the the deaf community and all these things that we wanted for her, and um, very quickly realized, wow, we can't have cattle in Denver. It's just not going to happen. And we considered for a time, you know, do we do we sell the herd? Like, is this is this a, a make or break situation? And just realized it was it was going to break our hearts. It was going to be really really not something we wanted to do and that's actually when i remembered carly and the conversation we had and i was like you know what i'm i'm going to reach out to stacy and i'm just going to ask and introduce myself talk about the situation and stacy was immediately lovely and welcoming and kind uh Poudre valley community farm seemed like such an excellent fit and then it became a matter of okay Understanding your needs as a producer, what what are the bottom lines for you to be able to do what you need to do, and also how flexible are you? And to be honest, we were like anything, anything. We will we will essentially bend over backwards and make it work. We just need grass. We need grass to graze. And um, Stacey was lovely, and she first connected me with a really great property owner. That particular situation didn't work out. However, she didn't give up on me and Poodle Valley Community Farms didn't give up on us. And we ended up on the prior property, which is one of the newer properties through the city of Fort Collins and is very different. And I think in some ways, on a standard piece of paper, less desirable for some folks, because it's currently a year-to-year lease or a service agreement with the city. And, you know, although that's a bit disconcerting to think, wow, that's that's not a lot of time to have certainty of where you're going to be, uh, we didn't have another choice. You know, we didn't have the capital to go buy land. We didn't have the connections in the community to get hooked up with someone who had land to lease. And we had a timeline of a surgery for our daughter in months and um, we needed to be settled. So we said, you know what? We, we're we willing to be uh, your guinea pigs. We are willing to fly this plane as it's being built and like, let us be that person and I'm so glad that we did because although it's still not, you know, ideally we'd love to have a long-term lease, we truly feel Poudre Valley Community Farms has been really responsive to our needs and great at helping us advocate for those with the city and just being somebody who's on our side every step of the way. And honestly, like this wouldn't have worked out being able to meet our daughter where she's at and then also still run our business would not have happened. Had I not run into Carly and then known about Stacy, and um, I feel very fortunate that that I had those connections, um, and very fortunate that this organization existed.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Stacy, I want to hear too about your side. Like, just this is kind of a case study of each side. How did you? How, what was your side of that process? Like, how was that, and how is that? looking at land seekers and playing that matchmaker process, like how did it go for you in the case of Evan?
2: Evan really did a great job of describing all, you know, the detail, all of the, how that process played out. And that's often the way the process plays out for us because we try to be a really flexible organization. You know, it's different every time and there are details that are unique to every circumstance, I think the two things that are really, really important, and Evan really hit on both of these, is first um, trust. You know, we we really see this work as relational, right? It's about people as much as it's about the food that's produced, it's about understanding who people are, and understanding how we can help them, not how we can shape them into something that meets our ends, right, but really trying to meet folks where they are in the very sort of like truest sense of the word. So that foundation of trust and building those relationships is super, super critical. Um, And it takes a lot of time and effort to do that. And that's, that's wonderful, right? That's one of the parts of my job that I appreciate and I and I really enjoy the most. And then the other part of it, and Evan used the word flexible, and I think that is just such a perfect description, is that from all of our sides, the recipe for success here is flexibility. And that's really the thing, like to me, that's the key characteristic I'm looking for in any producer when I start to talk with them. And Evan and Tyson just had it in spades, you know, not just in terms of a situation where they were, you know, really had a timeline on looking for access. But when we started to talk about long-term goals and how we're building towards something and really building this process and this airplane as we fly it, you know, they were always, and and all of our producers that, you know, these sort of long-term relationships, I think the thing that makes this work is everybody's willing to pitch in. Everybody's willing to say, how can I help get from where we are, a one-year lease, to where we want to be, which is a longer-term lease? How do we build the case for that? How do we demonstrate to the city that there are really, really good outcomes from this work? that helps them understand and feel comfortable with a longer term lease. So I think that, you know, that flexibility is often what we're looking for in our producers and it comes in a variety of different forms, but those are the two things. And I think, especially on properties where we have shared land access, that flexibility extends beyond the relationship with PVCF, right? It's the relationship with the other producers on the property and, um, I mean, Evan can tell you more specifically about what her experience has been at prior, but in general, you know, our folks are learning from each other. They're sharing the burden. They're sharing the load of managing properties. And they are creating this social network that helps support them in their in, in their work as well, right? It takes away some of that isolation that's maybe conventionally or traditionally part of agriculture. So, um, Yeah, I think that um, that flexibility is just super key to making it all work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would love to dive into this a little more. We've talked about on this podcast before, the idea of just different, like looking at land access in a different way, instead of just, you know, purchasing land and having a farm, you know, like, maybe how can we share? And I think this is kind of the answer that a lot of people are are proposing in this space uh, recently. And I'm kind of trying to understand, like, why is that not happening? It's probably not happening. For some valid reasons, already like if it's not already naturally happening, like what I'm saying is like working together on a farm, different enterprises sharing a piece of land, like it must be challenging. And so let's talk about it. Like what exactly is challenging? So, Evan, I'd love to hear from you, like in your experience and in you know conversations with others, and just in your work with young farmers too. What are successes and and challenges of sharing land? Like what are what are some topics that maybe we're not talking about enough?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think coming back to this point about flexibility, but also it's such a reciprocal relationship sharing land in a sense, it's almost like forced familial relationships. Um and I say that because you know, people's farm operations are very deeply personal. They come to it from places of of serious like conviction and belief in why they're doing it because you know lord knows a lot of us don't do it just for the money there's not a ton of money to be had in farming but that being said it's hard to share land with others when when you think of it from the perspective of like we all have our own interests that we're thinking about but what i really challenge other folks to think about when they're considering sharing land as a model of land access is that you kind of have to pivot your perspective from from you know what what serves me what serves my business to to more of a collaborative and like putting putting others sometimes before yourself and I think that's that's a tough pill to swallow sometimes you know, I I can speak for our own situation coming onto the property. We we have a wonderful I think there's four of us now on prior, really three who are who are actively invested in the long term, but it went from our wonderful co-producer Kristen kind of kind of flying solo to all of a sudden, oh wow, here's two new people and twenty plus Giant animals that we now have to share outbuildings and infrastructure and schedules and all these things. And I just, I want to say, like, I have appreciated and Tyson has appreciated Kristen as a person and as a producer in that we very much, although like we don't always have the same priorities because we're different businesses. We, I think, have done a very gracious job on both ends of being there for one another. And, you know, on on Kristen's end, that has looked like we had a lot of trouble with the electric fence when we first came on because it hadn't been maintained or used properly for a couple of years. And so there was like, we had cows getting out and it was extremely stressful. We didn't, we don't live near our property where we lease, you know, we're like a 15 minute drive away. We had just moved. We had two small children. And, um, Kristen really came in handy of like showing up on short notice to help us wrangle cattle, you know, literally chase them down someone's driveway to get them back into the fence. And then I, you know, I think that we do our due diligence on our end of, um, you know, Tyson Tyson took his truck and rented a trailer to go help Kristen pick up hay recently. He, you know, he's more than happy to help her move a refrigerator, you know, and it's also like checking on one another's stock when someone needs to be out of town. So, the beauty of it is that like if you're willing to take a step back from the individualistic mindset of me and mine and what's best for me and think of it more as you know, how can I be of service to someone else who who has just as deep of convictions about this as me, albeit even if not for the same reasons, right? And and coming from that mindset of, of the collective and um, helping one another has really, I think, made it work for us and is a reason why we have had success with the shared model. So I would just recommend if anyone's considering this, you just kind of it's like with any relationship, right? You have to give and t- as much as you take and if not more than you take to make this be a successful relationship.
1: Yeah, and it's like not not keeping score too. What what you're saying is just like jumping in when you're when you're needed and that goodwill just just builds over time. And that's, that's so cool. And that, you know, that's solving a major problem of every young farmers is like, how do we go out of town? How do we like deal with balancing the kids' schedules? Like, how do we still have a social life? Like maybe we can step in for each other and help each other achieve that, but it doesn't come free. You know, you have to help other people do that too. Yeah. So Stacy, if you, if you want to jump into, you have so much experience you know, mediating these situations and you like have the unique perspective of watching it play out. And I'm sure like listen to a lot of the frustration and a lot of the, you know, on the other end, uh, the appreciation. So yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective, like what works and what doesn't work about sharing land.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, again, I'm going to totally piggyback on what Evan said and use her analogy of a family, right? I grew up in northern Wisconsin in the 80s. And so lots of family farms, right? And that's all changed over time. And I think as folks are trying to get into farming now who are maybe moving to a different place from where their family is, they maybe don't have farming in their history. They don't have land access, you know, through their family connections or that sort of thing, you know, it puts folks in the place where they're trying to recreate what happened on a family farm, Mm -hmm. but in a different location um, that they don't have those, those social connections. And so, you know, just like it's wonderful and hard to have a really close family that supports you in all of those needs that you have, it's like that on these shared properties too. And I think that, again, that willingness to contribute, that willingness to see that we are all working together, even if we're all coming at these things from a little different angle, like we are working toward the same long-term goal, which is to have these sustainable businesses that are sustainable financially, and they're sustainable in terms of, of everyone's Mental and physical health and well-being, and that they like really connect people back together, right? Like that, the really like recreating that idea of a family farm. I would say that it's not easy. It's like takes a lot of work, and I know that you know in the sort of the ethos of farming from land access, it's like, oh well, let's just share, right? And that sounds beautiful and it takes a whole bunch of the work and the flexibility and the mentality that Evan described to make that happen. And that is a lot of the role that we play, uh, Poudreaux Valley Community Farms, like across the different properties where we have shared access is that we're trying to sort of facilitate a lot of this stuff. But I think just like any, you know, family situation, communication assuming the best intent of people instead of the worst intent. And like um, that gratitude and that sort of understanding of this, what it allows everyone to do, I think is really, you know, big key parts. And also recognizing the fact that there will be times of year, July, August, and September are really hot and really hard to cooperate. And just being able to say like, we're going to stick through this period And then we're going to do the repair work and we're going to keep getting better about how we do things, you know, in the season where people have a little more mental space and energy to like deal with that. I describe a lot of times the work that we do as sort of a spiral where we're getting a little bit closer to doing it right and having it be smooth and sort of easy for everybody. Every time we go around, every time we come up to a circumstance, we get a little bit better. And I think that idea of learning from what we've been doing, what's worked and what hasn't, and like coming back to those conversations when folks have cool heads, that's been a really big part in the process for PVCF to be able to like make these situations work, there's always bumps and it's not easy. And it is not a circumstance that's like meant for every farmer. There are, you have to be able to come to it with those characteristics and that mentality that Evan described, because otherwise, if everybody is sort of on their own and looking for the best for themselves and sort of moving away from those shared goals, that's where, that's where things get to those fractures. You know, we can't move past them. So, um, yeah, I will say it's hard and fun because to be able to see, you know, the connection between the different producers in terms of what they can provide for each other and what that means for the land is it's amazing. And to be able to eat the food that comes from these circumstances and like feel like I'm making a difference in our real community, it's so fulfilling and it's worth it, but it's not easy.
1: I'm curious, like Stacey, your background is in government and sort of that's your sort of your groundwork. I can just see it being so helpful as the bridge in the situation. And then Evan, you're working as the Western Organizing Manager for Young Farmers Coalition. So I, I love if each of you could say sort of how your experience in your either previous jobs or or your off farm job helps in in this relationship.
3: Yeah, I'm happy to jump in first and just say, I think the obvious is that I was extremely fortunate to be a part of a larger network of folks committed to a shared goal of improving land access. You know, at Young Farmers, I come at it from the policy advocacy perspective of I'm really trying to work with farmers to help them understand that there's power in their stories and experience and that they can share those stories and experiences with lawmakers to make changes. Like that that's really the goal I'm working with in my off farm job, but also it's how I it's how I got to meet the right people to even know that this was happening, right? And that I could be a part of something bigger. I just think Stacy and I have had some really really amazing conversations where we've kind of I think at the same time come to realize that the work Poudreaux Valley Community Farms has been doing has really been around land access, although I I don't know that that was necessarily always like a very, you know, clear mission or like, a it, you know, we used to be a cooperative and now we've kind of made this transition to nonprofit. And we have had as like Poudreaux Valley Community Farms to kind of define like, why are we doing this? You know, what are our priorities? And like, how does that shape how we operate? And, you know, Stacey and I have had just such really thought provoking conversations about it. And I've been really grateful to be able to speak from, you know, what I've learned from others through my network with young farmers, even though. I think every creative land access model is so different because they just have to be. But there's always something to be gleaned and something to be learned. And I, I hope that I'm right in saying that I've been able to bring that perspective into Poudre Valley Community Farms, which I'm just so grateful that Stacy and and the other producers have been receptive to kind of that mindset. Because I recognize I'm new, and you know, sometimes it's it's. You, you get nervous being the the new person in the room, not wanting to overstep, but like, I love to name the work that we're accomplishing and say, this is an example of something like that works and something that is problem solving in an incredibly difficult situation for land access. Like Northern Colorado is just such a tough place to be right now. Um, for for anyone and let alone if you need to like have land. And and it's something really cool too that I then bring back to my work at Young Farmers because when we're making these big policy asks with lawmakers, I speak to my experience and I'm like, "Hey, like this is something I'm a part of that, you know, if you support this this bill or, you know, this campaign that I'm working on, like you vote this in, it's literally directly creating a pathway to to fund organizations like ours um, in the case of some of the work we're doing right now.
2: Yeah. And I think just to sort of add on that, you know, Taylor, my background is in conservation and I worked for 20-ish years in, in government. Right. And a big piece of our land access program, our solution to this challenge of land access, really crisis of land access in Northern Colorado is working with governments because they own and hold a lot of land right and and those primarily are held for open space con- and conservation goals right and so being able to be sort of bring that understanding of how those processes work and how what the conservation goals are to these conversations and be the translator between those two, I think has been really a big part of building that partnership that again, provides so much land access for us. And I've been able to learn from the personal stories and the experiences of folks like Evan and our other producers who just bring that passion and that worldview. But for so long, the story, at least sort of in the, um, like land management world has been like conservation and agriculture are working against each other. Right. And they're like, it, farmers just want to farm every tillable inch. They don't care how much it ruins the land. And then conservationists are buying up all the land don't want to let it be used and don't understand the value of agriculture to, and the value of an understanding of the land that farmers might, per, that might hold. And so, like the story has been like we are working at odds to each other, and in reality, in this case, I think we are really clearly proving that we can work together for the benefit of everybody. But it takes the translation, right? It takes I'm looking at the world from this perspective, and you're working at looking at the world from this perspective, and that's where I think both, you know, my background in kind of walking in both of these worlds, as well as the perspective of Poudre Valley Community Farms, are like sort of the role of us of being. We I describe us often as like grease between wheels, right? Like we are we're trying to make it a little bit easier for everybody to understand each other and talk to each other and work together. And that is because we sort of bring that shared perspective. I think that's why that why we've been successful at building that partnership. And and it's folks like Evan who can tell her story. And folks like our partners at the City of Fort Collins Natural Areas who are willing to listen and think about doing things differently than the way they might have done or questioning that sort of conventional story about conservation and agriculture that's really making this work. And and again, it comes so much down to trust and relationships and flexibility, and that feels like really just the core of of the human part of the work that we do. And the fact that Evan can help, then folks like Evan and others can help us be a model for other places and share what have we learned, how has it, how has it. Gone totally off the rails. How has it been really successful? What surprised us? I think that's the part that we're really excited to be able to try to think about how we can influence this question on a bigger
1: scale. I'm actually personally really excited about the project. You guys are a county over from where I live. And so and I'm watching, I'm watching your organization build and serve a lot of the needs that we actually have in our county. And I'm kind of thinking, you know, a lot of the problems that we have are around. You know, I think there is a conversation about we need animals on the land and they can be a really strong tool. And I think a lot of land managers, and especially on government-owned land, they're like, you know, they'll sometimes come to our young farmers community and be like, we need, does anybody want to custom graze this? and The problem is, is there's no infrastructure for those businesses to thrive in the first place. And so there's a lot of young farmers that are like, I totally would, but I have no foundation. I have no like place to keep my livestock, no corrals, no barns, no like home place, you know? So like, even if I did, and it's such a valuable tool that I think can bring revenue into a young farmer's business by doing that custom grazing. I could just see that as an opportunity that you guys are sort of building the foundation for like Evan's cattle could potentially go be um, grazing on another lease that for really targeted grazing, achieving some really um, amazing results on, in a, in a situation like that because they have the foundation. So anyway, I'm just really, I can see that filling a niche in a lot of communities.
2: Yeah. And Taylor, you, I mean, you hit what you just described there is the learning that, that Poudre Valley community farms has done over these years. Right. Mm. When we started, we were, it was, I mean, even our mission statement was we provide land access. It was just about a parcel on a map, Mm -hmm. right? And then we realized, well, you can't grow a whole lot here if you only have soil, right? You have to also have water. And then depending on who the producers are and what their background might be and their other, like they also need infrastructure. And the amount of infrastructure and the kind of infrastructure depends both on what the goals are for the property and the, the sort of, The food production and the conservation goals, and it also depends a lot on the background of our producers. And so that's, I think, where I think we when we started out, it was sort of like a one size fits all model was what we had in our minds. Mm. And I think you know a lot of our partners had that in their mind too, right? Is this is a simple solution? People just need a piece, a square on a map. Yes, Yes. and it's so much more complicated than that. But it also has so much more beautiful and complicated and messy positive outcomes from it, too, if you can really provide those foundations. And so that's where our work has sort of shifted over time and recognize that we have something that, um, yeah, we need to really understand who our producers are and how we help them
1: where they are. Yeah, awesome. Evan, do you want to add to that?
3: Yeah, I, you know it's so funny hearing you say that Taylor about the infrastructure and just tacking on to what Stacy said. We ha- we have a direct example of our property with the city of Fort Collins. At first, uh we were told we were not going to be able to keep the cattle there over winter because the assumption was we would have a feedlot. And so it was for us it was very shocking like this idea of What? Like what? What do you mean we would have a feedlot? Because we very much, you know, first of all, we we're one hundred percent grass fed. Like we try to graze as long into the winter as possible as we can. When we feed hay, we feed it. You know, cattle producers will be familiar. You don't just feed it in one spot. Like you go down the field. But it came to this point where it was like. They don't know that, you know, these are literally individuals with, you know, and they're, they're great people. And they're very smart people, obviously, but they just lacked that context of what that could look like. And so it took us both directly advocating to the city and also telling Stacy so that she could support us as well and saying what you said that we, we don't have property to take them to in the winter, you know we're not landowners we don't have a, a fallback like this is this is only going to work for us if they can be here in the winter and um, you know something I that will always stick with me is is someone came back and said, well you know we could easily put a different cattle producer here who would be okay with that and um, I kind of I kind of put on my equity my equity hat for a second and said, you know, you got to be careful when you say things like that to, to producers like me, because, you know, I'm, I'm a Latino woman. Um, you know, I'm a first generation at this and, uh, I don't benefit from intergenerational wealth and land ownership. And, um, that can be a really harmful frame of mind, I think. And I said that, and I was very just like direct and, you know, kind in the way I said it, but I did say like, you know, if you're not willing to to invest in people and communities, we're never going to get to a more equitable agricultural, you know, space as a community. Because the highest bidder or the the most flexible producer is is just going to continue the story we've always been telling. And so, um, yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing that up, Taylor. That that part of this work is really Educating as well, those folks who are the landholders, that um yeah, those infrastructure needs um they have they have to be there for some folks to even be able to begin.
2: And your story, Evan, had such power and really did change the dynamics of that conversation.
3: Yeah. No, they were they were like shook, literally. They were like, Whoa, oh wow, we we didn't realize. And I'm like, Yes, no, you did not. But thank you for listening. And like, I have it was, a, like I said, a very powerful moment for me, um, because like they understand it now from a way that they didn't before, and uh, I hear them continuing to understand it that way in in follow up conversations. You know, six months later, which is so cool because it's like, wow, I did something <laughs> for my community. You know, and felt supported by yeah. Stacey and the community farms in doing so.
1: Yeah, Evan, I I want to talk a little bit more about your work at Young Farmers. We've had um quite a few guests from Young Farmers on this podcast, but I'd love to just dive into real quickly like what is your work as the Western Organizing Manager? You know, I know you do a lot of advocacy. So yeah, if you want to just briefly describe like what is your work
3: off the farm? Yeah, absolutely. And what I would say my role is is really I connect the grassroots, being the farmers on the ground, with these valuable stories to tell and these experiences that they carry with them every day. Um, and I connect them to the grass tops, being spaces in the room where they're talking with people in positions of power to be able to change these large overarching structures that we all operate within. So, you know, we do a lot of work on federal policy. And um, with it being a farm bill year, we have literally flown 100 farmers to DC to like run around between six meetings on the Hill in one day just to tell their story, because again and again, when we're meeting with these senators, with these members of Congress, with their staff, they're learning from us and they're hearing us. And um, it it really is coming to fruition. Uh, without getting too nitty gritty into policy, we have seen multiple marker bills, which are you know essentially on their way to becoming legislation and um, in this farm bill, because of the advocacy of farmers in Colorado and in the West, and I am just so infinitely proud and humbled to be able to meet these folks and hear their stories and be just like a conduit for them to be able to to give power to their stories. So, my whole goal, you know, outside of my ranching, is to help the people who deal with the things like me change the things that are happening. And uh, one really concrete example I'd love to share is um, right now we have a marker bill that it's called the Lasso Act. And essentially what it would do is create $100 million of annual revolving funding for organizations like Poudre Valley Community Farms, or it's quite flexible, actually, um, any organization that's working on land access to have this funding stream to apply for from from the federal government. So it's just really exciting to see, wow, this could really be something that folks can count on and rely on to have as an opportunity.
1: Very cool. Yeah. And Evan, we're working on a Um, career fair and a networking social together at the Regenerate conference. And this podcast is going out with enough time that folks can still be a part of that. So do you want to say a little bit about that and invite our guests?
3: Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to see so many of you here um, at the conference. Uh, I love Santa Fe. I have family roots in New Mexico. It's going to be so good to be there. Um, But yeah, we're we're having two events, the social event is at the same time as the career fair, like Taylor said, Young Farmers is going to be sponsoring that event. So please come out. It's going to be free. Uh, There will be a cash bar, but there will be free food and you can come out and say hi, and we're going to have a table as well. So if you're like, wow, you know, I'm kind of curious what it looks like to take the next steps to to be a leader or to like share my story in these ways, we will be there and we would love to connect with you and just get to know you. And then also we're gonna be having a round table that's really focused on hearing from different people throughout the West who have these similar stories of creative land and water access solutions so that we can learn from one another. And especially for those of you who are new to the game, right, and you're, you're kind of looking for the door to put your foot in hearing from others is oftentimes the best way to generate your own ideas and plan of action of what you might do. Because as much as I would love to say, you're all going to be able to get a mortgage and buy some land. Like we know that that is so hard right now. But that being said, it's not impossible to get on the land. And it's going to be a space at our round table where we can hear from individuals who are doing it and doing it in creative ways to learn from one another.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah. And if folks want to, if they're interested in coming to the Regenerate conference, it's the first week of November, it's down in Santa Fe. And if you need help um, paying for it, we have a beginning farmer and student discount. So if you go to the website, you can find that and you can always reach out to the podcast. We'll connect you with the right folks. But, um, but yeah, I, and, and lastly, I I just wanted to give you two an opportunity to just um, tell our audience, how can, someone listening support your work. So Stacy, if you want to go first, um, I know, you know, grassroots projects, you guys are converting to a nonprofit and sort of getting, getting, gaining a lot of steam. How can folks help you do that?
2: Yeah, I think, um, I think there's a couple of ways, certainly if there are producers listening who are interested in, who have that mentality we've been talking about, that flexibility, that sort of relationship focus, we're interested in farming in Northern Colorado, reach out. Our website is community Farms.com, Um, And there's a contact us button there. So we're always, we always want to build our family and and know that we've got folks who are, um, who are interested. Uh, the other thing is, is sharing, sharing what you've heard here today. You know, we are, we're doing really good work in this community. We're making real progress and being able to have other people know about it is really important and then the third piece is that it costs money to do this work. And that money goes to the relationship piece. It goes to the human part of these, um, of this work. And, and it increasingly is going to infrastructure to support producers like Evan and others who are trying to really build these long term community based businesses, you know, here in Northern Colorado. And um, there is also a way to donate to support our work on our website. Um, we'll be having a number of fundraising events over the next year, which will also be listed on our website. But um, but yeah, those are sort of the three big ways is help share the word, uh, get involved. We've got a ton of volunteer opportunities if you're if you're here in Northern Colorado, and then, you know, be willing to put, if you're one of those folks who's uh, it, it, someone who enjoys food, right, uh, especially like put your money where your mouth is and and be a part of solutions like this, PVCF or otherwise, you know, in your own community, like really invest in these people that are making a difference um, on the, in terms of the land, health of the land and feeding our communities.
1: And Evan, if you want to jump into um, how can folks help you and your business specifically and in your work in Young Farmers?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely going to echo what Stacy said from the business side of it. It's so important that we consider food at the value of what went into it. And so often, um, you know, I am so grateful that we have a customer base of folks who really care about, you know, where that beef came from. And also, let's be honest, how it tastes because it tastes so much better when it's an actual Beef animal Hereford grazed at like high elevation on that good Colorado grass. Like it does not get better. So um, certainly supporting our business, sharing the word, you know, buying local. That's always important. And then from the young farmer side of things, um, you know, the coalition is all about collectivism and power in numbers and power in stories. And so if you care about a more climate conscious farming future, a more equitable farming future and a future of agriculture where young farmers like us don't have to face some of these structural barriers that right now we're all dealing with, I highly recommend you follow us on social media. We've got an Instagram page, we've got a Facebook, you know, we've got all the things. I would say to subscribe to our newsletter and consider joining the coalition. It's a dollar for a year of membership and um you get access to all sorts of goodie codes and things like that too. But yeah, and then also um you know, you can always reach out to me personally. It's evan at youngfarmers.org. If you want to know more about that work or really anything, I'm always happy to meet new people, talk to new people and get to hear what you're doing too. So yeah. And just thank you again, Taylor and Quivira. Um, So grateful to have people like you doing this work and partners like you in the West.
1: I want to thank both of you so much for joining us today and for sharing your stories. And um, hope we can support you and and partner up in the future. So um, yeah, just want to say thank you so much for being on today.
2: Taylor, thanks for giving us the opportunity.
3: Yeah, thank you, Taylor. Thank you, Stacey.
1: Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please jump on to the platform you use to listen to podcasts and leave us a rating, a review, and subscribe to our show. It really does help others find us and we sincerely appreciate it. Do you have a speaker or topic to recommend for a future episode? Just email me at taylor at kiviracoalition.org, T-A-Y-L-O-R at Q-U-I-V-I-R-A coalition.org. And you may notice we're switching up our podcast structure here today. While we usually do job announcements near the end, we're actually working on a swanky job board that will be live this winter. In the meantime, please subscribe to our newsletter at our main webpage and to receive thoughtful writing, community updates, and job and event opportunities coming up. Thanks for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to Regeneration Rising, a podcast production of the Kavira Coalition. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other popular podcast platforms. Become a Patreon supporter by visiting kabiracoalition.org podcasts. We'd like to thank Kabira staff for their contributions to this podcast. This episode was edited and engineered by Caleb Wenzel Fisher. Wanderlust, our theme music, was made by Scott Buckley. And we're grateful for our guests taking the time to talk with us about their experiences. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the land.